Flint Hill Baptist Church exists to glorify God by gathering, growing, giving, and going in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Find out more at flinthill.net. Just a, just a great time to be in the Lord's house, man. Just a great season, isn't it? The Advent season. Just a time to celebrate uh, the birth of Jesus, um, what all that means. If you got your Bibles, open them to Matthew chapter 2 with me this morning. Matthew chapter 2. We're going to look at the Magi uh, this morning. Uh, this is nothing new under the sun. You've seen this before. If you've been in church long enough, you've heard about the Magi in Matthew chapter 2. Uh, but I'm going to tell you, I mean, it's just a good, it's just a lot of good stuff here in the scripture that we can glean from as far as looking at the Magi. But in Matthew chapter 2, uh, I want to read those first few verses, 12 verses. Uh, I'm reading out of the NIV. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, the Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. And uh, when he had called together the people's chief priests and teachers of the law and asked them where the Christ was to be born, and, and, and they replied, In Bethlehem in Judea. For this is what was written through the prophet, But you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler of whom uh, will be the shepherd of my people Israel." So Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent uh, them to Bethlehem and said, Go on and make a careful search for the child, and as soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. And after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, of incense, frankincense, of myrrh. And of having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. So when we look here in this passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 2, we, we, first thing that we got to acknowledge, I guess I'm breaking this down into several sections uh, this morning. Uh, there's a lot to glean from, but the first thing I want us to look at are the men of the Magi. The Magi were all, were, we, we assume there were three men. We don't know for sure if there were three men or not. We, we do that because of the three gifts that they give Jesus. Uh, but the truth is it could have been a, a more than that. It could have been a collection of them. Uh, but, but it doesn't matter. That's not the point. The word Magi comes from a Greek word called magos. It means one of a learned or priestly class. It's, the Persian word of this is magush. Well, and, and, and it's where they derive the word magician. Now, just a little history here. Now, I got kind of caught up in some of this history of the Magi. Whether, whether it connects to you or not, it's another story. Just stay with me a little bit. Because there's some good stuff here for us to glean. Uh, but there's at least 85 paintings of the coming of the Magi in the Roman catacombs. Uh, they not only show the believer's adoration of Christ, but they also shout in these descriptions, these paintings in the catacombs in Rome... It makes this statement, Gentiles, not Jews, were the first people to recognize who Jesus was and to worship him as the Messiah, it, which makes sense, right? The Magi came from the east. They were not of Jewish descent. Uh, they would have been Gentiles. 
The birth of Jesus was the most important event in human uh, in the history, uh, according to the Christians. Yet it was the in Rome the Gentile Christians identified with the Gentile Magi and honored them in their ancient cemeteries. Uh, in the in the in, in the ancient Middle Eastern world, these Magi, these men, were trusted advisors to the kings. They were well learned, proficient in many. Things, mathematical calculations, astronomy, medicine, astrology, alchemy, dream interpretations, and history, as well as other things that they would have been known for. And, and y'all know this. Some of y'all have been studying Daniel for some time. I know in Royce's class. As far back as 604 B.C., King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, what, had trouble? Remember, I don't know if y'all remember this or not. It had trouble with the dream. So what did he do? He summoned the Magi of his area in Babylon. Say, hey, y'all come. Y'all need to help me with this dream. Now, when you go back and look at that chapter, he kind of presented. He would, the wise men in his day wanted him to tell them to tell, wanted the king to tell them the dream, and they would go and give an interpretation. But Nebuchadnezzar kind of said, mm -mm, mm -mm. It's troubled me so much. You tell me the dream and the interpretation, and I'll believe it is true. So he kind of puts a little thing on them, and, uh, and, and he kind of puts it out there. He said, If you don't tell me this thing, I'm going to get rid of you. I mean, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He just. Now, that's a sweet saying, sweet way of saying he's going to kill him. I mean, that's, I mean, that's what happened. Now, Daniel's in captivity at this time. And uh, obviously, he's, uh, the Lord has anointed him. And it's through this uh, situation where the, the, the king's own wise men could not interpret the dream that Daniel, God anoints Daniel to, uh, to understand not only the dream, he explains it to detail, but he explains the meaning of it. Uh, as a result of that, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar appoints him as head, basically as prime minister. He is, the, he is in the royal court over all the Magi and has great influence over the whole nation. I mean, this is a big deal. This is, a, this is someone who was in captivity that God has anointed and used in a foreign land and blessed him. Remember this? Daniel was committed to the Lord's work, to the Lord's word. He didn't do what he was asked. Another, they're, they're wanting him to... Uh, do certain things, eat certain foods. He said no, and it was through this that God anoints him, and he becomes, I mean, a very influential person, and that's an understatement, in, in this foreign king's uh, nation. Now, what does that all, what, what does that mean? I, I, many of us, well, let me say this, but many scholars, um, how, how did the Magi know that the king of the Jews was born? How'd they know that? I mean, it's the first century. This is 600-something years later after Daniel that was over there in the east and uh, in Babylon, right, over in that area. How did they know that? How did they know? And, and, there, and there's honestly, we're, we're not for sure, for sure, but what we do know that in Daniel's life some 600 years earlier, he was committed to the ways of the Lord, to Judaism. In other words, the prophets of old that we quote all the time in Jesus' birth of, of Isaiah, all the scripture that pointed to the birth of the Messiah, he would have known that. And yes, I, I have no doubt Daniel used his influence in a foreign land to what? To leave a witness and a legacy that influenced even the Magi that come to Jesus in this moment. Now, how do we know that? Somebody had to leave a legacy for them. Now, I, now let me remind you in Isaiah, God, uh, uh, through the prophet Isaiah, God prophesies even... The Magi coming. This prophecy is fulfilled in them coming from a distant land. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 
1 and 3 says, Arise, shine, for the light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. In verse 6, it says, Herds of camels will cover your land. Young camels from Midian and Ephah and from all from Sheba will come bearing gold, frankincense, incense, and proclaiming praise of the Lord. I mean, here, when, 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 they're, when Matthew's reading back through and, he, and, all, and through the Holy Spirit, he begins to understand, man, this was prophesied years ago, but how did this day come to pass? I don't, wanna, I don't want us to miss this. This is huge. Daniel made a commitment to not just live his life now, here and now, under the lordship of the Lord in that moment, but he had no idea that his commitment to the Lord was going to influence generations down the road. That these magi from the east would have recognized this star in the heavens, this light that they saw, and would have known that this represented the birth of the king of the Jews. Not just some king. Herod was a king. Not just any king. The Messiah. How do they know that? Now, I say that to me and you. Listen, I, I, listen, I don't want to lump you into my world. But I can get kind of self-absorbed at times. And in this season, it, it gets all about me, myself, and I sometimes. I'll be honest, as a child, that's all I thought about was me, myself, and I. As I get older, I have other children. You know what I'm saying? A couple of them are here with me today. Uh, but, but, but during this season, I mean, if there's anything we need to be thinking about is not just what we're doing now. But what are we doing now that's going to live on for legacy for generations to come? What is it that we're sowing in the seeds of those around us, in the hearts of around us? What are we sowing that will reap fruition years to come? And some of you may say, well, Jesus is coming back soon. Well, okay, I'm with you on that. Praise the Lord. He may come back tonight, today, tonight, tomorrow. I don't know. It might be 100 years from now. But what are we doing today to influence that generation that's coming? Not even the ones that are born now. I'm talking about the ones that aren't yet born. The ones that Jesus prayed, those that would believe in me, not now, but would come. He prayed for me and you. And I say this because when we look at the history of the Magi here, I can't help but to look at these men. and They benefited from the commitment of Daniel some 600 years earlier, who was in captivity. He was not in the place he wanted to be. I'm certain Daniel didn't think, well, good night, I want to go be captive and held in a foreign land. But in that place, Daniel and those guys with him made a commitment to honor the Lord, and God blessed that. So when I say this, Daniel's life and witness leaves a legacy. I, I think it's something we glean from here. The Magi would have never come if Daniel wasn't committed to the Lord back then. They, how would they have known? I guess you could say it was some mysteriously, but there was a, there was a thread there. there was, how did they know the star represented the Messiah? Somebody had to share Isaiah with them. Somebody had to share the word of God with them. And not only shared, no, no, hold on. They treasured it for years to come. They didn't know Daniel personally. It was through the legacy of that person's testimony that they treasured that word that they proclaimed. And so anyway, so when we see the men, it, it, it wasn't just the, the, the history there, right? But the journey that they took, the scripture says they were magi from the east. The word, that phrase, literally means from the rising of the sun. It refers to the Orient in the first century. And so the east would have represented uh, 
uh, Media, Persia, Assyria, or Babylonia, right? Countries now encompassed by Iran and Iraq. Some scholars tend to think that the Magi may not have come from the same area, per se. I mean, there was obviously Magi in multiple uh, countries uh, to the east there. Uh, and that, that, that way of, of uh, that representative uh, in that throne, in that, in that culture, would have been there throughout that land. So some would say, well, no, they came from multiple places but came together. They recognized together, and now here they come to find Jesus, uh, the one born king of the Jews. Now, I, I just want to say this. The Life Application Commentary reminds us they traveled more than 900 miles, more than 900 miles to get to Jerusalem. Now, now again, I mean, when we think about that, we're like, well, you know, that's not a big deal. Get in the car and roll down the road. And we'll go, I mean, 900 miles is a long way. <laughs> Isn't it, Matt? I know Matt's like, hell yeah. I mean, get a trip, particularly if you got kids in the back. See, that's a long way. Thank goodness for that video. You can turn on. All right. Um, but I mean, yeah, thank you for staying with me. There you go. All right. But, but I, I don't want to miss this because there's a journey that the Magi go on. We need to glean from this. They saw the star. They knew what it meant. That's a big one. That. Listen, I'm not trying to get too personal, but if God opened the heavens today and showed a sign, would we know what it meant? Would we, would we be so sensitive to God's leadership that we would look and see it and go, I know exactly what that means. I'll probably say this again. When they come into Jerusalem, nobody knows. You know why they go to Jerusalem, Michael? It's not because the, the Lord told them to go to Jerusalem. They said, the king's been born. They obviously know in Jerusalem. Why? Because they've been trained in a history as it's been passed on to them. Jerusalem is the city of the Lord. That's where you go. So they go to Jerusalem. Because obviously everybody's talking about the king who's been born. And they can't find one person. I mean, is that, does that get you a little bit? Now, I know we're on this side of the cross. There's coming a day where he's coming back. You with me? And the Bible talks about this. Most folks are going to be sitting around doing whatever they're doing. They're not even going to pay attention to the signs of the times. But what about us that know the Lord? Some of y'all would probably testify this morning and say, well, I really believe God's coming back soon. Well, all right, praise the Lord. How does that impact our life today? What are we doing different today? Because we really believe God's coming back maybe tomorrow. Right? There's so much to glean from the Magi. I mean, these are Gentile. These are people that, honestly, they would have been outcast in Jerusalem. These would have been people that certainly God's not going to reveal to them. Maybe God tried to reveal to the, to the people in Jerusalem. Maybe they all saw it and didn't pay attention. I don't know. We don't know that. But they traveled more than 900 miles. Now, I say this because there's a journey that they're on. And it's real, and it's laborious, and it took time and effort and energy. It wasn't some fancy journey like you might take today in your nice car. I mean, it was a rugged journey to get there, and it cost them a lot of time, effort, energy, and money, and they poured hard sweat into getting there. But praise be to God, when they finally found Him, you know how they respond? With joy, with worship, and with great gifts unto the Lord. It's so interesting today. There's so much we can glean from this. So often today... We, we live in a world that just takes a totally opposite view of this season. We expect God to come looking for me. 
to explain himself to me, to prove himself to me, and to give me gifts, as opposed to me giving myself to the Lord. But here it is, those that are wise, like these magi, still seek and worship Jesus today, not for what we can get, but for who he is. Who he is. Who is he? The king of the Jews. The king Messiah. He is the only one who is able to reconcile us and God. There's no other way into heaven except through King Jesus. No other way. His birth was not just some happy moment. Praise God. I, I know that. I mean, I, if you've been there in that moment, it's a, it can be a happy moment. But it's more than that. It means the birth of a new day. The birth of salvation has come. God clothed himself in humanity. And now through Christ, we have a way to be reconciled to God. The Messiah were not just looking for a king. They were looking for a savior. And they knew to look for that Savior. The signs of the heavens pointed them there. But the signs of the prophecy pointed them there. They still had to go. They still had to go on the journey. Let me say this to me and you. Listen, all the signs can be crystal clear. I can sit up here and preach until I'm blue in the face or red, whichever comes first. Doesn't matter. I mean, you, you know, your mama may love Jesus for all it's worth, but there's, that doesn't mean you're going to heaven. Please hear me, church. Please don't fall into the trap. Well, I go to church. Well, that must mean I'm a Christian and love Jesus with all my heart, and I'm going to be in the kingdom of heaven. No, 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 no. The Magi knew they had to go. Same thing for me and you. There's a journey. There's a journey. There's a personal response to King Jesus, and they proved it. They, they humbled themselves, and they worshiped him. Why? Because they put their faith in the Savior who was born. Don't miss this. There, there is a journey for all of it. Now, look, now let's just be, really be honest. Listen, I can get all fired up sometimes. Y'all know that. Get emotional. You know that. Steve was with me yesterday. I get a little emotional, even at basketball games. Um, and I, now, look, I get emotional, and, and, and I can't help it sometimes. I try to hold it back sometimes. I really do. I get all fired up, and, and like some preacher up here, look like a fool sometimes, doing all this stuff. I get it. But uh, I, I am. I own it. I own it. I know. I know. Uh, but look, please hear the testimony of the Magi. Because Listen, every one of us here today is on a journey. Every single person here. I don't care if you're young, old, doesn't matter. We're on a journey. Same thing that the Magi were on that journey. And that journey took them to the, to the feet of Jesus. And let me encourage you today. May your journey that you're on right now, your life that you're on right now, may it always take you to the feet of Jesus. May you always come to him and worship him. Because that is the sole sum of our life and hearts and life totality. What, what is our, the chief end of man and women and boys and girls is to worship, worship the king. Worship him for who he is. My hope, my prayer is that we would hear the testimony of the Magi and that we would, yes, we're on this journey, but let that journey take you to the feet of Jesus to where you personally put your faith in him and trust in him and worship him. Not only, not only are the men, but the message that they had. Now, it's interesting because when they come into the city, they say, where's the one who's born king of the Jews? So their message they bring to the nation of, I mean, to the city of Jerusalem is a, is a beautiful message. It's a message, by the way, that they were waiting on or should have been. I mean, some scholars say that during the first century, there was a kind of a resurrection, a resurgence of this anticipation that God was about to do something miraculous. We see this in some of the Jewish historian writers that there was a sense of stirring going on in the first century for whatever reasons there was point going on god was stirring the hearts yet most of them in the in jerusalem missed it completely they didn't ever see or even acknowledge the signs that god brought forth in the heavens they didn't even acknowledge it or see it and yet god chooses 
to get these magi. And when they come to the city, their message is clear. Where is he? Where is he? Where's, where's the one who is born king of the Jews? And when they come in, the, the, the construction of this phrase, where is he, uh, this one born a king of the Jews, the, the phrase there, uh, the way it's constructed in the Greek means they kept on asking this. In other words, they kept coming in. You can just imagine the scene. I mean, we imagine three guys walking around asking people, mm, it, listen, you don't travel alone in the first century. And if you had that kind of prominence, you had probably an entourage with you. When you came in, I mean, just like, just like Isaiah prophesied, the camels were probably in groves. I mean, it was a parade of people coming into the city. Why? Why would they make such a big deal? Because for them, it was a big deal. They're coming to see Jesus. They're coming to see the king of the Jews. This isn't something. I mean, they're making a grand statement. Why? Because they believe everybody else is going to make a grand statement. They didn't want to come in and bring it short. You know what I'm saying? I mean, the last thing you want to do if you're coming to the party, I mean, you want to bring, the, you want to bring all you can. You don't want to show up. People go, that's all you got in the Orient? No, they're bringing it. And so when they show up, there's a display of, their, uh, of all that they have, all that they represent. But they, to their dismay, they go from one person to another to another, and no one knows where he is. In fact, they, listen, they actually go to Herod. Look, you don't, get a, you, don't get a, you don't get an invitation to come see Herod unless you're of prominence. You, you, does that make sense? I mean, listen, common people didn't show up in Herod's palace and just say, hey, I need to talk to you about this. Mm-mm. There was such a stir going on in the city. They'd say, well, let's, oh, we, need to see Herod. we need to see the king. They probably didn't know his name. Let's show us who the way. And someone said, well, let's go see him. Certainly the king Herod knows where King Jesus is and the Savior. So he comes to him, and he's baffled. He doesn't have a clue. He has to pull the chief priests and teachers of the law and pull them together and say, man, where, where's he going to be born? And they're like, Bethlehem. That's what the Bible says. That's what the prophecy says. Oh, Bethlehem. Now, you know, if you read this, it's pretty tragic what happens around the birth of Christ. Because Herod has no desire to worship the Lord Jesus. And, I'm, and this isn't a message about him and whatever, but I'm going to tell you, there's always things in this world that want to take us away from the Lord and what the true meaning of what Christmas is all about. But man, you can see it early on in Herod's life, how he wants to get rid of the Savior. And he goes to great lengths about that. But he's trying to trick them. He's trying to, he tells them where, where you're, they're supposed to go. Um, but it's all for, for false. He's trying to... He's trying to uh, Trick them so he wants to find out so he can get rid of this king of the Jews because he felt threatened. I mean, if you know anything about the history of Herod, and his, he was a notorious ruler and didn't give a rip about his people at all. And he would go to great lengths to keep his kingship. And he, in his mind, we got to get rid of this boy. And uh, so that was his intent. But thanks be to God, uh, that didn't happen uh, in that uh, first century situation. The message is clear. Where's the king? Where's the king? The second thing that we see about their message, they say, listen, we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now, again, how do they know? How do they know? I go back to Isaiah, great prophet of old, quoted many times in the book of Matthew, right? And so in Isaiah chapter 9, Verses 1 and 2, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. And, but in the future, he'll give honor to Galilee of Gentiles. By the way of the sea along the Jordan, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. 
It's in that same passage in chapter 9 of Isaiah. You know this. We quote it all the time. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government, his dominion is on his shoulders. He'll be called what? Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And the increase of his dominion and peace, there is no end. No end. He'll reign on David's throne, over his kingdom, establishing him, holding it. Never end his justice, never end his righteousness from this time on and forevermore. The Messiah, the King. So when they saw this visible sign, this star this, that, 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 that rose, that made itself visible in the heavens, they knew exactly because they knew the Word of God. They saw it and at that moment knew they must go worship the King. Um, now, interesting here, the Magi were not following the star. That's clear from the Scripture here. They saw it, and as seeing this in the heavens, they knew what it meant, so they take off going to Jerusalem. But the star doesn't lead them to Jerusalem at all. Right? They don't follow the star to Jerusalem. They just go to Jerusalem because obviously people there know where this Messiah is going to be born. Now, you know as well as I do in the, in the Scripture here, after they meet with Herod, right, uh, he sends them to Bethlehem to make careful search. They still don't know where the baby Jesus is at this point. This has been some time later after his physical birth. Uh, at verse 9, after they had heard from the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them. Right? And it stopped over the place where the child was. So as soon as they begin to leave Herod, this star shows up. What this star is, we don't know for sure. Very different. I mean, you know, there's, there's commentators talking about the glory of God. Remember the, uh, the, the, the shepherds in the field? The, the glory of the Lord shone around them. Some talk about the glory of God, the light of His presence. We just know there was a visible light, much like the nation of Israel, right? God had a pillar of cloud during the day and fire at night to lead them. And it's the same kind God leading them to where they need to go. Um, now, here, now, here, now, here's the interesting thing. Uh, when it gets to the Magi, uh, when they see the star, the star in verse 10, it says, the, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Matthew here in his text really is a loss of words here to describe, uh, and, and MacArthur uses the word ecstasy, in other words, exhilaration. They are just overwhelmed with joy, rejoicing exceedingly when they see this star. Why? Because to them, in that moment, seeing the star meant they were on their way to see the Savior. I mean, I, man, there's so much to glean from this. I, I know, I know. We, we, we gather every week, don't we? We gather every week to worship the Lord. My hope is that in your heart, my heart, as we gather, there's an anticipation of worship. There's a joyful anticipation and expectancy when we gather. It's not some uh, 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 like formula you put together, sing these two songs, have this preacher preach, and da da da. No, no, worship is an intentional effort on my part to bring my joy into the house of the Lord as I anticipate to hear from the Lord, to meet with the Lord, to worship Him. And, and the Magi, if there's anything we can glean from them, man, they traveled all this way. But their desire and their joy has not waned. In fact, it's grown even stronger. They're closer to Jesus now than they've ever been. And they're overwhelmed with this joy. Oh, goodness gracious. Um, my hope is that we, too, would be filled with great joy. Oh, my goodness. I hope this, this Advent season, maybe God would do something new, a new work in your heart, my heart, that we would be overwhelmed with joy in this season. But not only that, but not only, not only we see um, the message, but we want to see the purpose. What's the purpose? And I've said this over and over again. It's real simple. Uh, they, said, they said to him in uh, verse 2, said, We've seen his star in the east, and we've come to worship him. 
Now, now when they say that, they don't, they're not just words that come out of their mouth. They, they mean business. The, the Bible says in verse 11, On coming to the house, they saw a child and his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. This word worship is, is a loaded word. It means it's full of all kind of meaning, expressing the idea of, of what they just did, falling down, prostrating themselves humbling themselves before the Lord. It also carries a connotation of kissing the feet of the hymn or the hymn of the garden of the one being honored. It is, a, it is a word that means me, if I'm using that of myself, I am lowering myself as low as I can in the presence of royalty. I mean, this would have been done, in, 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 and they understood this word. They understood the, the role. And so when they come, when they, so in other words, worship for the Magi meant humbling myself before God. I would submit to you, church, that true worship means it's more about him and less about me. True worship. Worship is, we quoted earlier at Romans 12, 1, uh, the, the scripture admonishes us in view of God's mercy to, to what? Present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing unto the Lord. In fact, the Bible says this is your true worship. True worship. True worship doesn't mean attending a church service. The true worship is an attitude of the heart. We can worship any place, anywhere, anytime. In fact, I will submit to you in our life group, uh, we're going we're to talk about the church at Southside. Where's Dave? I'm looking at him over there. And, and Brad, yeah, thank you. And, and so we're, they're worshiping today at about, about 1030, rain or shine, on the streets of downtown Birmingham with the homeless. I mean, I thought about that this morning on the way here. I, I'll be honest with you. I just started to cry. It might be pouring down rain, and they're going to be out there in the rain worshiping the Lord. I don't know, church. Let me say it this way. When our heart's right with the Lord, it doesn't matter where we are. It doesn't, does it? No. It doesn't matter what song we sing. It's really just about intentionally Laying it out before the Lord. Humbling, that's the word. Humbling ourselves before God. Now I'm going to tell you, there's good news in that act of worship. Because God will exalt the humble. And what, what, what do we mean by that? God is pleased when we honestly, sincerely humble ourselves before Him. He shows up. The scripture says that He inhabits the praises of His people. And I would say the purest of praise. Those that come with a heart of humility. He blesses them in that moment. Worship is not just a one-way street. It's a two-way street. It's the opportunity for us to hear from the Lord in the midst of worship. And God speaks to our hearts. Can you imagine being there with the Magi in this moment on this day? Can you imagine that? I know. I, I, I sometimes think about what was that like? Could I have been a fly on the wall in that moment when the Magi showed up? And they see Jesus. Oh, my goodness. It's almost like they couldn't help themselves. They just fall prostrate. The Bible says they humbled themselves. They worshiped. They just fell down before him. In humility, by the way, they just, it doesn't matter how, who you are. You just humble yourself because they recognize his greatness in this moment. Now, coupled with this, not only when, when the Bible says they worshiped him, the Bible also says then they opened up their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They presented these gifts. Now, MacArthur rightly reminds us, this is not in addition to their worship. Worship in this word is in the context of humility, of coming before God and humbling myself, and then opening up my life and saying, Lord, here I am. 
And in their context, what you know, can, can I just be honest with you? The Magi traveled 900 miles to see Jesus, and you know what they're going to give him? Their best. You may not have a whole pile of gold to give to Jesus. I get that. They did. They get, listen, they did not want their worship to be tainted by giving God lessers or the leftovers in that moment. They gave him their best. Frankincense and myrrh were expensive perfumes and scents in that first century. They presented their offering unto the Lord. Why? Because he's not just some king. This is God in the flesh. And when we meet with God, what do we do? We worship him. And in our worship is offering ourselves unto the Lord. When they humble, when they got down on the floor, they were humbling. They, they laid their life before God and got down here and said, God, I'm yours. I'm yours. Take me. That's what they're saying in that moment. They're humbling themselves. To a heart that is humbled, it's easy to give generously unto the Lord and His works. And God, take it, whatever it is. Life doesn't consist in the things I possess. Material. Jesus said it this way, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. The Magi had it right. Well, if there's anything we glean from them today, man, worship, good worship, true worship is full of humility and honoring God with our gifts. Presenting, let me say it this way, presenting the Lord with our offering. Now, practically, I mean, we see this in the life of the Magi. Mary and Joseph, as, as wonderful they were, called of God, they were poor as poor can be, most likely. And when Herod started turning up the heat and he said, I'm going to kill all these children from two years old, no, no, how did they afford to go to Egypt? The offering that was brought to them provided for this family to go down to Egypt and live and then come back. There's no other way. So I, I'm, I'm just saying, I mean, what a beautiful picture. People come from a distant land to give their all, give their best, give their offering, and it meets the needs of peoples in life, and it sustains the work of the Lord. It's no different today. God wants us to worship Him from a pure and sincere heart. It's from right worship that leads us to right giving and offering of ourselves and what we have unto the Lord and to His work. You know, I love, uh, I don't know why, God brought me back to a guy by the name of Augustine, of all people. And he's made several statements, and he makes this statement here. And let me just, I'm going to close. Guys, if y'all want to come, I'm going to kind of move us into a time of response here. But there's a couple things we see in, in the, I mean, just gleaning some things from the Magi. In the words of Augustine, he's, he's in the fourth century uh, theologian. But he makes a statement that I've heard it for 50, well, not 50, about 40 something years now. But he made a statement. He said, There's a God shaped vacuum in every man that only Christ can fill. The Magi is a portrait of this. They're in a distant land with their own idolatries, all this stuff going on. And somehow, some way, through God's grace, Daniel's testimony lives on. And these men who were magi in their lands hang on to the words of God and believe that the Hebrew people got it right. 
So much so, they take it in, soak it up, and they're anticipating, looking, and when the sign comes, they see it, and they say, He's born! The Messiah has come. And the only thing they can do, we got to go worship Him. It's going to cost a lot of money. Yeah, I know. But we're going. It's going to create a lot of ring. I know. We're going. There's nothing going to stop them from, from finding the Lord. I think Augustine got it right that inside of every one of us is a heart, there's a little vacuum, a little hole inside of us. Listen, this world never feels it, never will, never has been. Satan tries to, but it won't happen. The Magi knew this. There was all kinds of things in their lands that they tried to fill it with. There's no way, no way under heaven that it's satisfied. And they looked to the Daniel and the prophecies of the Old Testament. And when they saw that star, it clicked. And they're like, we got to go. We got to go. And then when they go and they find him, their only response is, we're going to bow down. We're going to bow down and worship the Lord. I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but I need to remind us there's only one who we ought to worship. When we got married, Paula, Paula used to, you don't know this about her, but she wrote a lot of poetry back in the day. And somebody put this song, if I got the title right, honey, you can help me. Second to one. She wrote a poem about her future husband and how she wanted him to be second to one. There is no one, no thing that ought to take the place of God in our worship of Him in our life. If there's anything we hear from the Magi, let their testimony speak to us today. As we respond in just a moment, let, let me say it this way. As we respond in just a moment, we're going to sing a song, I promise. Take a moment and open up your heart to the Lord and say, God, show me. Is there anything in my heart? Is there, is there a mindset? Is there thoughts? Are there things? Is there physical things? Are there people in my life that are way more important than you? Has something taken root in my heart that has taken your place of my worship? And just be open to the Lord. Allow God to just kind of work in us. Stand with me this morning. Father, we just want to praise you today. And God, right now, we just want to take a moment. God, we want to take a moment and just ask you, Lord, to search our hearts. God, we hear the testimony of the Magi. We hear the Word of God. And we see their example, how they earnestly, passionately worship you. Father, help us right now. God, search our hearts. If there's anything hindering us in our personal worship of you, dear Jesus, make it known to us. God, stir our hearts right now to worship you and you alone. Father, we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. This altar's open if you...